This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Chuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Michael Tonkin. Michael is the founder and CEO of Tonka Learning, a global consultancy firm producing sustainable long-term change in capability, performance, and culture. In today's episode, Michael shares the importance of strategy and how it can help businesses succeed. Michael delves into the process of carrying out tasks and highlights the common mistakes that leaders must avoid. You'll learn the significance of communication and culture, steps you can take in implementing strategies within the organization and find effective ways to manage and overcome resistance and change. Let's jump in. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me on The Bottom Line today. For those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little about yourself? Thanks, Savan. Thanks for um, including me on your podcast. I'll start with career journey and we can sort of expand from that. So if I was to think about me in career segments, I'd say first part of my life was in consulting, had my own practice at a young age, working a lot in Asia Pacific and thoroughly enjoyed that. Second stage of my career was more in-house roles, both in CEO and head of global learning roles. And now more recently over the last three years, having sort of rekindled the consulting itch with Tonka Learning. So for me, have been based in Melbourne pretty much all my life outside of work travel. And if I'm not busy with my family, active with terms of community and things that we do outside of that. So, you know, really looking forward to what happens next for me over the next few years, both work and non. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about Tonka Learning. So you've reignited your yeah. consultancy passion and started that, did you say three years ago? Yeah, just over three years ago. Well, tell us what it does. What are the services you provide? Who do you work with? And just sure. a bit of a pitch on Tonka Learning. Thank you. So three parts to the business. We work in leadership development. So developing capability in a whole range of areas from storytelling to strategizing to courageous conversations as just by way of example. Second part of our business is that we focus on strategy. Two parts to strategy. One would be organizational strategy. So helping organizations navigate their strategic planning process. And then the other part of strategy is often a very hands-on role in building strategy from the ground up in areas like people and culture and that sort of thing. And then the third part of the business is what we call consulting change, OD, if you like, in the industry that's often just tackling opportunities and problems that are organizational wide that we want to put a spotlight on or the organization comes to us and says, we'd like some help. We tackle that through somewhat of a human-centered approach. Awesome. So what inspired you to start the company? First time or second time? Maybe tell us the first time and then what got you back into it. So first time around, I started at a pretty young age and, and it was a real leap of faith for me to move into consulting early. I guess for me, it was the opportunity to work with multiple clients and diverse clients and be able to pick the clients that we work with. So to be lucky enough to be able to sort of handpick those 
across multiple industries and enjoy the work that we did there. And I guess, you know, we came in with a specific purpose. We would often exit after a large project. And so those sort of peaks and troughs of high intense workload, I think deep down probably suited me at the time. Coming back second time around, you know, I'd sold my business. I'd worked internal with two organizations and I'd seen how the other half of organizational life lived. And for me, it was about working with fewer organizations second time around and going deeper in terms of more strategic work that we were doing. And I think the other fundamental difference was moving more towards an associate model with our consultants so that they work very closely with us, but they're not permanent. And I guess that gave me the ability to sort of cherry pick the right person for the right opportunity, which is a very different model to having a permanent in-house solution where you're reliant on using those people because they're on your payroll. I get to work with an amazing professor in the US and some amazing people here more locally. So I guess that's the thrill that second time around comes with. It would be quite powerful to just in terms of what you said there, having an in-house versus a consultant. Sometimes we use this term here, you know, the outside in, looking in from mm. the outside. And, mm. and they must be quite powerful when you come into organisations. One of the major areas you speak, you talked about was strategy. And mm. I wanted to sort of touch on that. So how important is strategy to business success? Well, it's critical. We, we both know that. For an organisation that has a well-defined strategy, and to be fair, the organizational strategy is one thing. It's the implementation, which I know we'll get to in a moment. But it's that idea of having a, a strategy that everyone understands, that everyone buys into, and that affects their day-to-day is really important. If I think about an organization we work with now, their ability to sort of cascade that strategic planning process and weave it through all that they do is remarkable. And they're an organization of about 150, 160 employees based here in Australia. And it is it is a well-oiled machine in terms of year on year. And I think maybe the only challenge for that organization, like many, is how much have the strategy already been set by few versus what does the buy-in genuinely look like and how much impact and influence can the rest of the organization have on strategy? So yeah, really important. So you talk about buy-in. We'll we'll get to culture and buy-in a little bit later. But obviously strategy comes from the top. And talk to me about leaders and leaders' roles in strategy. Yeah. So typically you've got strategy at the exec organisational level and traditionally that's developed by those more senior in the organisation. And then obviously it's the leader's role within departments, divisions, et cetera, to not only make sense of that organisational strategy but then – take it to their team and then create their own version of what that strategy looks like in terms of implementation. Because it's not just about taking organizational strategy. I'll give you an example. There's a a large university we work with. And I remember someone within a department said, I can't see how the strategy applies to my department. How do I take it back? And we run workshops on implementing the strategic plan and all sorts of things like that. And so for someone who's a senior leader to not make sense of that strategy makes it really difficult for them to execute through. And I think in some cases, the way that the strategy is created and communicated, you do have to make sense of it. You have to connect the dots. Not always does it come through as a, here's the roadmap you must follow, can sometimes be a gray area in terms of what we need to do to interpret that and take it forward. So yeah, from a leader's perspective, 
certainly it's to make sense of the strategy. As we've mentioned, it's not just organizational strategy. We've got some really big organizations around the world and in Australia where the number of strategies and sub-strategies that sit across an organization are huge. You know, we work with an organization that's 180,000 employees. You know, think about what the strategy look like for mm. that size and that scale is very different to another client of ours that's got 35. So when you say sub-strategy, would there be, just to visualize it for myself, there'd mm. be one overarching global strategic plan yep. and then within each department or and then there's sub-strategies for either departments. I mean, do you break those sub-strategies up based on the company or what they do or is there a defined methodology that can be applied to all businesses? Well, sometimes an organizational strategy doesn't define in such detail what it is that we're going to do and when. So it might say over the next five to 10 years, we want to play in these three, four or five strategic themes. And I know this might sound odd, but then the process to then be able to take that into another strategy at a more local level Sometimes that roadmap doesn't give you the fodder, if you like, to work with. So you've got to then make sense of that. So I'll go back to that university example. They've got a strategy for 2030. And so I might work in a department and I might go, there are five strategic themes. Theme one, two, and three don't make sense to our function, but four and five do. So we need to go big in that area. What does it look like? Mm. So it's an interesting way to, to think about strategy that it's not necessarily all five themes hit every job function across the organization. Yeah, that's really interesting because working in the SME space, I very rarely think about how a BHP would put together a strategic plan and then execute it and plan that out. So let's just peel it back a little bit. So we've talked about strategy. We won't use those words. We use sure. strategic planning. Mm -hmm. But just to give us a little bit of a, a strategic planning 101, what does it cover as a vision, goals, just go a little bit deeper on just educating our listeners around what does it mean to have a strategy? When I say mean, what does it entail? Sure. So some of the key inputs in strategy or strategic planning would be making sure that an organization has a really clear purpose and a really clear vision. And sometimes organizations will also overlay that with a mission. So we can get into wordsmithing, but there is a difference between the three. In our experience, most organizations go with vision and either purpose or mission, not necessarily both. And one could argue there's semantics between the two. There's not, but to keep it simple, they're the three sort of overarching inputs. Then the next thing in a strategic planning process would be, what does the future look like in terms of what are the threats that we can see? What are the issues socially, politically, economically that we can see? What do those headwinds look like sort of five years out from now? And then what are the three or five strategic themes that we need to go big? And then within that, you can then start to, I guess, marshal into the more traditional strategic planning speak. You've got key initiatives and objectives and milestones. But typically at the highest level, it would be, here's the strategic theme. Here are some initiatives we need to go after. And here's how we'll know if we've got there by 2030. But those initiatives are still relatively high level. So for example, it might say one key initiative under one pillar or one theme might be something around Indigenous. And that's something that's a really important part of an organization's strategy. But that's the level of detail that might be required, but no more than that. And then the team will take it and go, okay, 
if Indigenous is one part of it, there's a strategic plan or a, a process, a roadmap for that Indigenous play or the Indigenous training or whatever it is that you're doing sure. or, or theme across the organisation. Okay. That definitely gives me a bit more of an understanding mm. of how at a high level you do it and then mm. you break it down into stages. Typically, it's a three to five year rolling plan that gets reviewed annually. Yeah. So, okay. So that was kind of where I was going to go mm. next. It was sort of, you mentioned that three to five previously. So when you do a strategic plan, so it's three to five years, if you're a year or two in, is it okay to tweak it or do you don't, you don't tweak the top part, the vision, the purpose, and actually change maybe those pillars and the other parts? Is that what happens? Or are you allowed to go, oh, we got this wrong. How does it kind of work? Yeah, yeah. So typically the strategic themes whilst they're up for debate each year, tend to stay the same. What tends to tweak, if you like, are the initiatives from year to year to support those themes. And so that's where we start to see the greatest level of sort of variance from year on year. So, And there's typically a process involved that's sort of through staff or team members on the ground floor having an input to that process. And so that's where we see the change from year on year. So my next question is more about knowing how we got there. You said that previously. You obviously said this three to five year plan and you're breaking it up into little maybe roadmaps and little goals that you're going to achieve. How involved are you at Tonka Learning to create the KPIs and the knowing that we're on track and what are some of the tools that companies have used to know that they're getting there? So for us, our role in strategy really does vary by client. So in one client, for example, we will help support them manage through the strategic planning process. We will be involved at every major touch point across the year. We will be part of the engagement piece around trying to bring in others through the organization into that process. But it is largely a sort of a guiding custodian we're not there necessarily providing you with the data to put in. We're just managing process. And then we rely on that organization and the people within to drive it. We'll, of course, challenge and we'll ask questions and help think that process through. But that's one example. Another example is that we will go from the very beginning and we will help an organization create each of the elements of the strategy. And the only way we can do that is we need to understand that organization. We can't come in cold and go, this is your strategy. So we're really lucky that we've got such amazing clients. And for example, one of them, so this is not so much the overarching strategy, but this is a major piece within. I'll tell you a quick story on it. So we had, we met with around 75 people, one-on-one for an hour, of which a third of that group we met with at least twice. Every meeting was a virtual meeting. Every meeting had a team's transcript at the end of it, 50 pages per interview. And then I guess one thing that we do well is we make those conversations safe. We ask, I think, really good questions. And then the most important part is we then make sense of the data. So then what we do with an organization like that is we say, here are the key themes coming through. This is where I think we need to go big over the next three to five years. And then it's a really important part in the processes that we've just met with all those individuals. We then go back to those individuals in small groups and present back those key themes. And my honest belief in that process is, is that if the organization can see how robust that stakeholder engagement piece is, then often the strategy is, will clearly much more accepted 
almost immediately because that process was really robust. So that's a way that we provide input to strategy. We don't just walk in and say, do this, do that sort of thing. I mean, some organizations will say, Michael, we don't have the time or the budget to have a hundred people that you meet with. What's a watered down version or a diluted version of that, that we can do, which is totally fair. So we might say, here's the strategy process that we would do. Here's an opportunity for you as an organization to take a half of that, two thirds of that. We can just advise from a distance. So the role that we play with organizations to partner with them on that whole process will vary based on their internal capacity, their capability, their budgets, their timeframes. Yeah. I want to move into execution, but before I do, just wrapping up strategic planning strategy and strategy creation, are there any books that you can recommend to our listeners that can get some really good content and start doing some of that work? Obviously, you can't take on millions of clients and (laughs) I wouldn't say we have millions of listeners, but um, yeah, for those that are listening, what are some of the key books that you would recommend? The one that I would put forward that I'm, would you believe I'm only halfway through is uh, a book called Strategizing. Okay. And it's the reason why I'm going to recommend that book is it breaks down the differences between strategy and strategic thinking and strategizing. And if I could just mention something on strategizing for a moment, I know we're going to walk to implementation or execution, is that when I talk to leaders and I talk to people in general, they'll say, I focus on strategy on the day that I work from home. And then when I'm in the office, it's all operational, it's all hands on deck and it's business as usual. And we try to get people to think about from a strategizing perspective is how can we elevate the quality of the conversations we're having with those around us so that those conversations are more strategic? How can we help people go, look at your calendar in the last month and look at your calendar in the next month and start to find where are the moments, if you have any at all, where there's high level thinking going on whilst you're in the middle of the work that you do. And I think one of the interesting parts of the concept of strategizing is it's not something that you do once a year or you do from home. It's how do I weave that in? I think it's a really important distinction. And I think that plays to everyone, not just those at the most senior level of an organization, but I could be new into an organization. I could be starting my career and yet there's still opportunities for that. And just quickly, I was talking to someone yesterday. I said, Michael, I was looking for an internal promotion. And I didn't get it. And the lady said to me, do you know why I didn't get it? I said, why is that? And she said, I was told that I'm not strategic enough, but no one could tell me what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Isn't that just crazy, right? But it's true. Then I guess, so for me, I get a thrill out of helping people understand what's in front of them and how they can be more strategic in their role outside of the strategic thinking or strategic planning process. Oh, that sounds like an episode from The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part chat. Join us next episode for the conclusion of this conversation. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. 
I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's the bottom line.